Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Running Light Podcast. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we're going to be talking more about family today a little bit. Plus, we can get into whatever else we want. You can get into news or anything like that or what's current yeah. and the good stuff. <laughs> um, you know what was cool is a friend of ours... Um, who's very involved in the sex education world of our town. Yeah. Um, she was just telling me through email that they got passed, I think, locally. Um, that bill, um, I guess it goes to now another level, uh, but it got through the initial level that it needed to get through. It, it's that one, um, it has to do with uh, parental consent for sex education in the public schools. And uh, I thought that was good. You so, know. what would the bill do? It basically get. It basically is a like. Um, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure. Let me let me see if I bring it up. But it has to do with like parental cons- consent. Like the parent has to consent. Yeah. To the sex education. Of yeah. The but it's pretty interesting. Huh. Um, let me see. Um, sex education. I'm going to pull this right. I should have done this before we started the podcast, but (laughs) it's all right. It leads to the intrigue. Yes, totally. So this is common. Okay. The executive summary, we can say that is a common sense approach to balancing concerns from parents about sex education in the public schools. First, it protects young children from sexual content. They are not mature enough to handle. Sex education curriculum is becoming more graphic and explicit in schools, especially as so-called comprehensive sex education is being adopted by more school boards. Second, it provides transparency and accountability measures for schools offering sex education in grades 5 through 12. Although parents currently must opt in their child for sex education, many parents are not given enough information to make an informed decision. Additionally, the bill requires parental opt-in consent for sexual orientation and gender identity instruction that is not always under the sex education banner. This provides for many parents with their religious or conscious objections to such instruction. Hmm. So that's kind of the basic summary of it. Gotcha. But overall, I thought it was pretty cool because at least, I I think what we've always talked about is... um, at least, you know, parents should be the first kind of line of sex education. It seems like anywhere, that's anyway, that's a no-brainer. Right, right. And kind of like what we've been talking about, you know, in, in most, uh, when you start getting into more totalitarian regimes, basically what the state wants to do is they want to become the parent of the child. Uh, and they want the parents to have as little say as possible in the education of the children. Because their idea is we want, we want a society of people who think like us. And if you have parents who are contradicting the state, then it's a little more difficult for them to teach you what they want. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that this is good because it is trying to preserve the role of the parent as the primary educator of the child yeah. um, as opposed to the state. Yeah, and it kind of leads to maybe what I, I'd like to talk about today a little bit because we've been on this family kick the last two podcasts. And and that is, you know, one of the jobs of maybe family is to educate. Right. Right, which is, it, it's kind of interesting because I think we've talked about it before, but it bears repeating. 
um, this idea of educating your children, being the primary instructor of your children, especially when it comes to things like morality, virtue, um, and sexuality and things like that, uh, a lot of parents have abdicated that role. So you're either giving that role to the state through public education or even private education, doesn't really matter, just an educator other than yourself, or you are giving that role to the church. So meaning that some, some parents think better, they're like, well, yeah, I'm not really engaging in this role with my kids, but I have this entity and it's a trusted entity, whether it is the church or whether it is the school. And, uh, you know, I, uh, the first thing I did at the church was I worked in children's ministry and, um, you could always tell the parents that are very invested in educating their children versus the parents that, that aren't, you know, (laughs) the parents who are just like, I'm dropping my kid off. They're doing their Sunday school thing. I don't really care. And they just kind of go about their lives. And it's not that they're bad parents. I don't want to give that idea or impression, but it's just that you could tell they, they just didn't care what we were communicating to their kids. They, they really didn't care about the lesson. They didn't care what they were, we were talking to their kid about. They were just very comfortable, kind of like very um, neutral about the whole thing. And then there are the parents who are maybe a little bit overly involved, you know, mm. and, that, and uh, we could talk a little bit about that as well. But the primary uh, document that we have in the Bible about educating children would be the book of Proverbs, where the book of Proverbs is written as a book from a parent to the child. So you have the majority of Proverbs that's like a dad talking to his son, but then you have the last chapter of Proverbs, which is a mom talking to her son, Hmm. which is really cool. But you have this idea of parents educating their children about really interesting things. And one of the primary things and where Proverbs kind of cuts in the middle of that. And there's sex education in there. There is a lot of sex education Let her breasts satisfy you. Proverbs 5, right? Right. And uh, Proverbs, Careful the adulterer. Yeah, Proverbs six and seven. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely. And uh, even Proverbs thirty-one has some ideas about what, uh, like a mom talking to a son about what he should be looking for in a future spouse, mm. which I think is really cool. But um, when you go through the book of Proverbs, what you see is that it bears a fine line between abdication of instruction and what we would call indoctrination of instruction. So abdication would be the parent just isn't taking an active role within the kid's education. They just don't really care. Mm. They're just like, I only care how the kid is behaving in my household. I don't really care to actually be communicating to my child about these important topics, uh, about finance, about um, instruction, children, marriage, sex, right? All the different topics that are covered in Proverbs. But then the other type is just like, I'm going to indoctrinate my kid. Meaning I have a viewpoint on the world and I'm going to make sure that my kid shares my viewpoint no matter what. And if my child disagrees, I'm going to kind of stomp down that disagreement and call it disrespect. Where the Proverbs kind of bear this fine line where because it's wisdom literature, the majority of the literature puts the onus of thought on the listener, not the speaker. Meaning that when the speaker is communicating to their child, the idea is they're, they're speaking in riddles, they're speaking in vagary, because they want that kid to do the thinking for themselves. So they're not indoctrinating them. They're not like, this is what you need to think about this. Yeah, it's a, it's a principle kind of pondering. That's right. Pontificating. Like, <laughs> they're like giving them ideas of like, think about this and think about this, because they want their child to be independent. In other words, for the Proverbs, 
the main point of the Proverbs is not getting people to think a certain way, meaning they're not trying to communicate primarily what to think, but instead how to think. That's the main onus of the book of Proverbs. So when I'm educating my child, what I mainly want to do is I want to get them to the place where they're thinking in a correct way, not that they're sharing necessarily all of my beliefs. Uh, because if all I wanted is my kid to be a mini me, you know, and just reflect everything I thought, that's an indoctrination. That's I'm not training my child how to think. I'm only training them what to think. Yeah, and this is good because we've been talking about families, but we never really have talked about this, and that is what really uh, – this this answers another – or the question, what makes for a good family, uh, and, and kind of gets specific. And and so you can have a, a, a nucleus family, and you can indoctrinate. Right. Right? And you're saying that the difference between indoctrination and – uh, are the opposite of indoctrination is really teaching independence. Right. And that's what the Proverbs are doing is they're, they're teaching people how to be independent through really being free thinkers. Right. Looking at principles, um, very much almost like uh, Marcus Aurelius's meditations right. in parts where, right. you know, you read some of those and you kind of think, eh, those are really thought provoking. Yeah. You know, I, I was just reading some of Marcus today and he says like, you know, um, you guys are all familiar with the Bible passage that uh, we are all one body, but many parts. It's so interesting that he just hones in on that. And I don't know if he's really honing in on that yeah. <laughs> as in he's reading it. Right. You know, um, who knows, you know, what the influence was in him on any of Paul's writing. Mm. But he certainly talks about it in a very proverb like way. Like, hey, don't just go into your world and, um, you know, help people just for helping sake per se, but realize that there's a big picture and that not only do you help a fellow man, uh, you know, mankind, but you're part of the big picture. So when you help someone else out, you're helping yourself out too. Right. You're part of a greater, you know, and so he just kind of lays these little caveats out there. Right. You know, so people kind of go, yeah, that's, that's right. Let me think about that. Right. You know? So that's what you're saying is indoctrination is something where you don't uh, teach independence. Mm -hmm. Instead, you, in a sense, uh, force people into a certain belief system. Right. So in, in your example with Marcus Aurelius, it would be the difference between him just saying, you ought to help other people. Why? Because the government says so. Because <laughs> I'm the emperor and I say so. Or you could do this wisdom training, this meditation training where he's like, you ought to help other people. And then he starts answering his own question. Well, why should I help other people? And he starts walking people through reasonings of why they should do it. That's the, that's the idea of training someone in wisdom and independence of thought. And in fact, in the Proverbs, it actually encourages hearing opposing views. Uh, one of my favorites is a man seems right until his neighbor cross examines him. So in other words, it's this idea where it's like if you only hear one side of any argument, political, moral, theological, that side will sound correct until you hear the opposing view. And so the writer of Proverbs is constantly even encouraging himself to think like I could be wrong in something that I think. And if that's true, right, Proverbs 14, I think verse 10, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end therein lies destruction. If that proverb holds true for me as well as my child, I would be doing my child a great disservice just by trying to get them to think exactly like me. 
right? What I would want is I would want my child to be such an independent and free thinker that if I'm wrong, that my child would even have the power to correct me, right? To look at me and say, dad, I don't, I don't think that's right. And I think one of the ways that parents can indoctrinate their kids. And uh, so I don't, I don't think that private education in and of itself is a wrong, but I think that sometimes the reason of why parents are doing private education is because they only want their kids to hear one side. And the problem with that is if you're raising your child to only hear one point of view, that is a form of indoctrination. You're not actually teaching your child to be a free thinker. You're teaching them how to absorb a very particular point of view and not think otherwise. Mm -hmm. And do you think that the Bible um, was doing that? Or do you think that the Bible has like, I'm talking specifically like with Israel, do you think that God was working with Israel in the way of not saying, hey, I want to indoctrinate you. It's not that I don't want you to know uh, what goes beyond the walls of Israel. Right. But um, that God was saying, hey, um, yeah, in light of knowing what is out there, you know, this is a better way. Right. And absolutely, you see the difference in a couple of moments. So let me take one of the most dramatic moments that I think could be considered by some people indoctrination, but it's not would be First Kings chapter 18, where Elijah has a showdown with the prophets of Baal. Now, here's an instance where Elijah actually, you know the end, you know the end goal, that God had an intent and Elijah shared that intent to kill all the prophets of Baal. But here's the whole point of the story. If that was the intent, why didn't God just kill them immediately? Why didn't God just allow Elijah to murder all of them or like do an amazing miracle where like fire just consumed all of them and then Elijah's like, see, God is the true God. He could have done that, but instead he allows Elijah to go up on the mountain and to have like a debate with them where he's like, if your God is real, prove it, you know, like show us that your God is true by lighting this altar on fire. He gives the gods a chance and the prophets a chance to defend their position that Baal is the true God. And then once they fail that test, then from there, Elijah uh, commands the execution of them. So once again, God doesn't just kill them. Elijah actually commands the execution of them and the people follow because they had been convinced. Uh, same with the other prophets like Isaiah, where God says to his people, come, let us reason together. God doesn't just like stamp his fist and say, I am the true and living God. Don't follow those gods because I said so. There's an idea there where God was willing to dialogue with the people. And then obviously the, uh, the ultimate example would be Jesus. Jesus doesn't just show up in Jerusalem and say, like, I am God incarnate, worship me. He has debates with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He actually dialogues with them. And he doesn't just prove his point through amazing miracles. He actually, a lot of times, he defeats them intellectually when he's having debates with them, which I find really, really interesting. So God certainly is not for indoctrination because if he was, there would be a way he could do that. Yeah. And, and so in a family, one of the, one of the most important things we can be doing is educating is taking responsibility for our uh, education, hmm. you know, the education that's going on in the homes. And I think if there's anything that's happened over the last, you know, five years in the country, uh, maybe even longer, obviously, but it's really been a pool for that. Uh, I shouldn't say five years, probably since the 60s, especially. There's been kind of that idea of like, hey, maybe we need to get back into educating our own 
um, you know, kids and helping them through things. But it's how that education takes place that's important, right? Right. Yeah, it's not just, um, you know, teaching a bunch of doctrines that you want them to believe, but helping them understand other ideas and other thoughts, other world views. Right. And then being able to... Um, deconstruct those worldviews. Right. You to know. use reason to show the fallacy, to not just say, well, that's gross, which I think is how a lot of parents would educate their kids about yeah. sexual issues. Right. Don't do that because it's nasty. Don't do that because it's bad. Right. You know, and the issue is, is that, think about this. If you raise your kid in a bubble where everybody just says the same thing, everybody's just resounding the same exact ideology yeah. and there's no crosstalk, once they go to the university or once they get a group of friends that aren't Christian and they see a different side of things, they've come from a worldview where they think every other thought process is indefensible. It's just stupid because it's just been mocked their entire life. And then they hear the worldview in a serious manner and they're like, wow, like that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and now they're like, well, maybe my family's wrong. And as they're hearing these reasonable views presented by people who are not demons, but people who are moral, respectable, well thought out, right? And they may even be hearing arguments that are better than the ones that they heard when they were in the church. All of a sudden, their faith system starts to crumble, right? Because it wasn't really built on truth. It was built on an indoctrination. It was just think this way, as opposed to them being raised to be free thinkers and therefore able to discern the things that they're being communicated uh, about by their culture and by their influencers. Yeah, and so many parents, you guys can be afraid of, you know, those conversations because you go, man, I don't want to open up. There's so many areas. I don't want to open up my life to, you know, my teenagers. I don't want them to know what I did. Um, or you don't feel equipped yourself to reason through situations. And and that and and so you know I could see where educators, you know, go like, hey, you know what? The parents don't know what they're doing. Hmm. You know, parents can't seem to to help a kid understand homosexuality, hmm. or transgender issues, um, or you know, a parent doesn't have all they're gonna do is just go like, horrible, right? You know, that's all they're gonna do. So man, what do what are they gonna raise? They're gonna raise just some kid who's you know, you know, you know, whatever, disgusted with that or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And um, so I could see where the battle takes place in the public square, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because, you know, think, think about this for a second. When you go through the book of Proverbs, what is the number one fear of the father in the book of Proverbs that's going to happen to his son? He says that he doesn't want his son be, to become a fool or a scoffer. So when you look through the book of Proverbs, he's not terribly afraid. Like he does mention fear of him ending up with an adulterous woman or being perverse in his judgment or things like that. Mm -hmm. But the number one fear seems to be that he doesn't want his son to become a fool. Well, what's a fool according to the book of Proverbs? What's a fool? What's a scoffer? It's someone who is so arrogant in their belief system that they won't hear wisdom when it's spoken. Mm. Right. Someone who's impervious to correction. That's the greatest fear of the father. And, and I think like if we take that seriously as parents, is that your greatest fear? Is your greatest fear that your child's going to think the wrong things 
or is it that they're going to get to the place where they're so arrogant that they can't hear another side? Hmm. And let me put it this way. What if your child believed all the right things, but they were a fool and a scoffer? Meaning that they had all the right ideas. They were Christians. They were conservatives. They were all these other political, theological, moral, all these ideologies you want them to be. But ultimately, they are a fool, meaning that they are impervious to information from a countervening side. They won't hear it out. They'll dismiss it out of hand Mm -hmm. and they won't listen. What would you want? And, you know, for a lot of parents, if they were honest with themselves, they would be like, I would rather my child think the way that I do. Yeah, be obedient. Than to be a free thinker and maybe think something different than me. Yeah. And for a lot of the educators, too, they look at things like bigotry, racism. They look at those things as such great evils that I think in their minds, the ends justify the means. Meaning if we can get everyone in our culture to think a certain way, it doesn't matter that we've stolen from them freedom of thought or individuality. It only matters that they think the way that we do. Um, And just think for a second about news coverage, right? The reason why we get so upset with news coverage is because it's clearly being given to you through a filter. Uh, And it doesn't matter. When I say that, I I mean that from conservative and liberal outlets, that there's a filter put on the information that's being given to you that's intended to get you to think a certain way, Mm. right? If they really cared about independence of thought, they would just give us all the information that instead of having liberal news outlets and conservative news outlets, there would just be news outlets where liberals and conservatives were giving you the news and debating one another and giving both sides of the argument. But that's not what you see. You only see one side of the argument being given. They don't care about you being a free thinker. They care about you thinking the way that they do. Mm. Yeah, and that's really challenging. You know, uh, so when we think of godly parenting, we think of educating, we think of developing independence um, with your kids, um, helping them, um, you know, in their own sex education. Obviously, that's important. Um but in order to do that, you know, many people have to work through so many issues themselves. You know, how many people really feel comfortable, you know, talking about self-gratification, masturbation, right. or talking about pornography? Right. You know, how many people can sit with their parent, their kids and go like, hey, why do you like to watch porn? Mm. You know, like, what is it about it? And they go, oh, man, well, I just find it fascinating. Right. I find it exciting. And they go, oh, well, you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't. God says no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, God says no, you're horrible. Uh-huh. You know, and and um, I was just going over Galatians chapter 6 today in the morning Devo. And uh, I was just going over the uh, idea of restoring someone with gentleness, right. lest you fall into temptation. And, you know, that's like so good with a parent because a parent can go up to the child and want to restore that child even with gentleness, but they end up falling into temptation themselves. Right. Um, It's not the same maybe temptation as what the child does, but it is in a sense, Mm -hmm. in the sense that there's something luring uh, that the parent falls into. It might not be self-gratification at the moment, but there's some kind of inner lure, you know, that's moving that, that parent, um, to stumble in their correction of the child and their help, um, in their restoring that child. Right. And so sometimes when we look at the passage in Galatians chapter six, as a parent, 
uh, and, and just in general, sometimes we go, oh, well, that means, you know, you're going to stumble in the same way. Mm. Well, no, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Right. It just right. means you're going to stumble in some way. Yeah. Like, for instance, Paul, when he was correcting Peter in the book of Galatians, right. could have easily stumbled as he corrected Peter. And right. how could he have done that? Well, he could have himself become prideful, arrogant. Right. Right. And then he would have fell out of loving. Right. You know, so Paul saw that, that, you know, we need to, so Galatians chapter six is a really important passage. Right. You know, for us to always look at more restoring someone. Now I was looking at Deuteronomy chapter six and it says, and these are the words I command you today. You shall, that, um, today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be to you as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So that is like the idea of just instructing your child. Right. You get the idea though, it's just kind of like in your world. It's just there. Yeah. You know? and, I, and I like the, the, the plan that God has, you know, mm -hmm. writing it on your doorpost, putting it on your signpost, uh, even like uh, when they do their feasts, the encouragement for the children is not like, so the, the plan that God has placed here, which I think is so cool, is that the parents are just supposed to do things, but encourage the kids to ask them questions. Mm. So when you read through it, like what God says is you will do this so that when your kids ask What's that there for? You could say, this is when God, you know, so like he's setting it up, not for the parents to just be like, think this way, do this thing. He's setting it up for the kids to become inquisitive, to be like, why do we eat this food at this day? You know, yeah. why do we, why do we do this? Why do we do that? And the parents are there to be like, oh, this is why. And to instruct at that point. Yeah. Which is way cool. Um, you know, what do you think parents do that maybe is a little bit opposite of that? <laughs> so like I said, parents, when they hear questions, uh, I think that they take it a lot, uh, a lot of us in our flesh, right? And myself, you know, my daughter's not old enough to question me yet, but it's coming, right? And I know in my flesh, the way that I'm going to receive that questioning is they're questioning my authority. Because it's kind of nice right now that my daughter's at the age that she is, where I could just have her do whatever I want. Yeah. Pick her up a mover. <laughs> I could pick her up a mover. I could just say no. Like she can't fight back. She can't argue. But there's going to come a day where she's going to question. And I think the fear is that she's questioning my authority. She's going against me. And then there's that fear of what if she doesn't do the right thing? What if she makes a decision against what I want? And I think that the, 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 the temptation that parent would have is I'm going to preempt that. And I'm just going to start ingraining things in them and I'm going to use fear and I'm going to use, uh, you know, different yes, methodologies, yeah, spiritual manipulation, spiritual manipulation to get them to do what I want, you know. And so instead of instructing the child, I'm going to only use this. And for sure, there's an age where that's appropriate. You know, there's an age like, can you really have a philosophical, intellectual conversation with a three year old about why they shouldn't lie? You know, no, you can't. You just got to say, don't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. But there comes an age where now your child's come to the place where they need to know why they shouldn't be doing this or that. And that should be developing. It shouldn't just be like, OK, you're 13 now. Now I'm going to start explaining these things to you. 
there should be a gradual explanation happening at the level that they're at so that they can begin to understand to, like I said, to be independent free thinkers. Uh, and I think that what's happened is there was a time, I think, you know, like I'm the first generation that really saw this, I believe. And that's why I think it's one of the reasons why we're seeing so many people in my age group leaving the church in such large numbers is because there was a time where parents could essentially isolate their children from views that they didn't like. That day is gone, man. That day is gone. The internet has now opened your child up to every type of argumentation and thought that you can think about. Man. Yeah. Anything at a university, anything on, um, you know, Las Vegas strip, right. anything, you know, just anywhere you can imagine, you know, that's right. And if they don't know how to process different ways of thinking and to be able to reason with them, you're going to lose your kid. And that's probably why a lot of uh, people that are pro um, this kind of even uh, gender identification and, and that kind of teaching in schools, uh, you know, a part of it is, you know, like you were talking about earlier is trying to, of course, get the state to kind of be the teachers of, of the, the society instead of the parents. Right. But also, I bet you there's a part of them, though, that aren't really that savvy in thinking in that big picture kind of thing of totalitarianism. Right. But they're thinking more of, you know, parents just aren't going to. Right. They're not doing they're it. They're not doing it. Yeah. You know, they're not going to talk to their kids at all. Their kids are ill-equipped. Um, and therefore, you know, it's like in, it, it's like almost like, you know, when you th thought of AIDS, you know, you thought of AIDS, you thought of homosexuality. Mm -hmm. It was like uh, that link, you know, that AIDS, homosexuality, AIDS, homosexuality. And, um, you know, and by the way, that's not as big today. Right. You know, right. And, and, and I don't know if it's why, if it's because is it not really true hmm. or, or is it that we've just been maybe educated um, to not think that way hmm. when maybe we should. Right. You know, um, so there's there's always those kind of thoughts, you know, but you have to, as a parent, you have to be thinking through these things, obviously. Right. But I was also, uh, um, and I hate to segue, but I was looking at these uh, <laughs> from, from um, um, this is from National Fatherhood Initiative hmm. and talking about a family. Uh, the proof is in father's absence harm, father's absence harms children. Now, um, I was listening to some things on YouTube with, uh, uh, um, oh gosh, famous actor. Um, oh gosh, he spaced his name. Um, I want to say Darren, but it's not Darren. Um, <laughs> um, but he, he, he was asked about, um, race issues and Denzel, Denzel Washington. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it's so neat to hear his answers right. where he's just talking about fathers, right. fathers, and he's just hammering fathers. And I was looking at this. Yeah, that no, was, I, I love his perspective on, on fathers, man. He's got a very strong, like father, like, and, and he, like when people ask him about his success, like he's very much like my dad, you know, was awesome in my life. Yeah. And he, cause he, I, I think he didn't grow up in like the best circumstances but he had a good father and he always points to that as like, why am I in the position I'm in versus my friends 
who some of them are just as talented, just as smart. Yeah. And he always points back to fathers. Yeah. So you look at this, uh, the reason why talking about parenting is so important because it says that the, uh, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 18.3 million children, one in four, live without a biological step or adopted father in the home. Hmm. So it talks about uh, the poverty is four times greater. Teen pregnancy is seven times more. Um, and, and it goes through it, you know, more likely to be in prison, um, even obesity, two times more, um, two times more likely to drop out of cr- uh, school. Um, but it goes through the, the issues, you know. Um, so there's something to be said about a family. Yeah. You know, it's not a small topic. No. You know, some people might look at, Christians and their emphasis on family and they might go, man, that's, you guys are always, you know, it's always about the family, but if it's not about the family, you know, you know, if it didn't matter, if it didn't matter, then we wouldn't see a correlation. (laughs) Right. So meaning if, if the family didn't matter, then an absence of fathers shouldn't affect anything. Right. Right. We would see the same statistics. Uh, teen pregnancy should be exactly the same. Uh, arrest should be exactly the same. You know, everything should be exactly the same. But if we see a correlative factor where the father's absent and it has these predictable types of results and they happen over and over and over again, you have to say there's some sort there's something there, you know? Yeah. And really interestingly, uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, he speaks more about what like what is it about fathers that's so important? You know, like why are fathers so important? A lot of people talk about why mothers are so important. And there's a great importance of motherhood uh, within children and being able to encourage and develop kids. But one of the things that he points out with fathers is he says mothers are incredibly good at affirming children, making them feel like they're accepted and loved right where they're at. Mothers are really good at that. But he said fathers are good at pushing their kids to do more than what they thought they were capable of. Right. So, yeah, I've heard him talk about like, you know, I, I, I fight my kids when they were right. young. Like I, I wrestle with them. And, That's right. That kinetic you know. learning. Yeah. So I, I think a, a comedian put it this way once. He's like, OK, how does a mother train a child that fire is hot? Right. A mom will usually say fire is hot. Right. So she, she sees a fire. Fire is hot and she'll move the child away from the fire. He's like, how does the average dad teach a child that fire is hot light a fire (laughs) he'll light a fire and he'll let the kid get a little close to it right he won't let him burn himself but he'll let him get close enough to feel the adverse effects of heat and then the dad will say fire is hot and the kid understands it more so in other words uh what dads are really good at is they're really good at training their kids how to understand uh principles using kinetic learning meaning practical information as opposed to just theoretical and the reason why is because dads are and there's there's a reckless attitude towards it as well so dads one of the things that dads struggle with is being safe with the kids right so sometimes dads will push it a little too far yeah and they'll end up hurting the kids they'll say hey they'll throw a ball at their kid and they'll hit him in the face and it'll hurt them and they'll cry the kid will cry but they'll be like oh hey man you got to take the pain man you toughen up man you walk toughen it up. up a little bit life is hard <laughs> So it's like dads, that could obviously be bad, but the good thing about it is, like I said, like Jordan Peterson talks about, is it's pushing the kid to understand their limits. It's pushing them beyond what they thought they were capable of doing, and it's helping them understand their world 
in a more practical sense as opposed to a theoretical of just like there's dangers out there. The dad will actually show them the dangers and help them understand them in a practical way. Yeah. So really good podcast. Who's going to raise your kids? Um, and what is the importance of uh, parents educating? And what if we, uh, uh, we don't do that? Then what, you know, then our kids all get into the hands of someone else or something else, right. you know, some kind of uh, educator or some type of, you know, it could be government or things like that. Someone's going to educate people. And more often than not, it's a YouTuber. <laughs> it's a YouTuber. That's Nowadays, right. That's the number one educator. Yeah. And like we've talked about in our podcasts, a lot of people, a lot of parents struggle with pornography in their kids, but I would say YouTuber is probably more, more influential, more influential. You know, for me personally, you know, seeing people have sex, uh, I've seen dogs have sex growing up. You know, you see get animals and you see animals have sex. I've never seen parents, you know, uh, I, I mean, I, I have seen, I said, I, I think a few parents when a dog is humping another dog, you know, they're like, hey, you know, Johnny, don't look, you know, but <laughs> but on the whole, they're just like, oh, yeah, you know, the dad especially is yeah. just like, oh, that is the son, that's <laughs> our daughter, that's what they do, you know. And but, you know, uh, when it comes into human beings, obviously, people get really s scared with that right. and they go and me personally, because of my upbringing, I don't get so scared at that. I just right. kind of go, hey, that's what people do. Right. People have sex. That's super normal. Right. Happening every day at all times on the world, in the world, in people's homes. Right. If everything was unveiled, if God's looking at everything right now, he sees a lot of sex right, right now. <laughs> Right. Right. And I, I think that's, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot <laughs> where it's like if if, you know, obviously you don't want to expose like a five year old to porn. Sure. But if it happens, the idea some parents just freak out and they're like, oh, my gosh, my kid is scarred. He needs to go to counseling now. Maybe not, you know, but he has seen something that might be a little bit more mature than he's ready to deal with. And it's your responsibility now to bring that into context for him. But the number one thing you need to educate them about, I think a lot of parents have a knee-jerk reaction of bad, mm -hmm. which, again, is demonstrating to your kids sex is bad, nudity is bad, this is all bad, and producing shame around sexuality. Whereas what you could do is explain what's bad about it. And it's not that sex is bad. It's that it's the exposure of it. So yeah. Like you said, like, yeah. It should, this should be private. This should be between you and your spouse. This should not be for everybody to consume. Yeah, and if there's anything you know? we've tried to hammer on to for these years is that the, the tragedy of pornography isn't the viewing of pornography. Right. That is not the tragedy. That is the normal reaction of human beings. Right. Our inquisitive nature. Right. <laughs> um, our biological excitement of nature Nothing is weird with that. Right. If you think that's weird, then I would ask you, why do you watch movies? Right. 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 Absolutely. That we we like entertainment. Viewing. We like entertainment, and we like seeing the the backstage of things. You that's know, we right. We like seeing how things work, how things happen in other people's lives. That's totally totally normal. Yeah, but what's abnormal? Right. <laughs> and not good. <laughs> yeah, and not good is the massive distribution. Right. You know, and that is. That is the issue. Right. The you know, selling off. Yeah, as the selling off, the massive distribution of these things mm -hmm. that uh, it seems quite abnormal. Right. You know, um, maybe in a culture that's oversaturated with sexuality, we w the next generation will become more dull to it. Yeah. 
Um, they just won't care. They won't care. They'll yeah. be like, ah, whatever. Um, and that's probably, we're already seeing that, I think. Oh, yeah. In the last <laughs> yeah. two generations. Yeah. You know? That pornography is no longer like, whoa. Yeah, like, yeah. When you go up and talk about pornography to the younger generation, they're just looking at you almost like, like, what are you talking about? Right. I almost get that vibe nowadays. Right. That it's almost like, I don't get you. Yeah. Like, what are you talking? Why are we even talking? Why are about we this? talking about this? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like if I was trying to educate a kid about how to eat. You know, they'd be like, they'd be like, why are you, why are we talking about this? Man? Like, that's the kind of expression I get from teenagers nowadays. Yeah, which is another podcast. In yeah. General, but uh, anyway, hey, you guys have a great one. Thanks for checking us out. You can always check us out at uh, betterpleasure.net or runninglight.org. Okay, you guys have a good one. Bye bye. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series: Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.